interesting that um, human nature makes us we don't want to be different from anyone else. Like people like to be part of a tribe and they like to, they don't want to create waves or be, you know, I think it starts in school because if you're different, you get picked on and that flows through into adulthood. But such an important part of promoting veganism is normalizing it. Hi, and welcome to the third episode of the Vegan Women Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel LaMarche, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Vegan Women Collective, an organization that highlights and supports the activism and entrepreneurship of vegan women through panels, workshops, as well as this podcast. Before anything else, I would like to wish you a happy new year. Happy 2019. I hope you had a lovely break and a great start to the year. I certainly took a bit of a break and was lucky enough to travel interstate to Brisbane, but most importantly also to Sydney, where I interviewed for the podcast Jessica Bailey, the founder and owner of the Cruelty Free Shop. It was so incredible to discuss with her the growth of the vegan movement in Australia, how she approaches her four stores as a gateway to education and activism, and how she always aims to reinvent herself. As you may or may not know, the Melbourne Cruelty Free Shop went through a fire recently and they just reopened about a month ago now and Jessica was kind enough to discuss how that affected her and her staff and we do encourage you to offer your patronage to this institution while they rebuild the capital that they have lost. Now, I really do hope that you enjoyed the conversation that we had and that you are as inspired by her journey as I was. Let's start the show. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. First things first, what was your journey into veganism? How did you come about becoming a vegan? I've been vegan now since 2000, so 19 years. And I started out by walking through the Newtown Festival one day and chancing upon an animal liberation stall and picking up a brochure. And in fact, I think it was thrust upon me. Um, putting it in my bag and then later on reading it on the train home and it was a brochure about pigs and how pigs are treated in intensive farming Um, and it, it just was I'd gone through my life with my eyes closed I had never considered animal rights it just hadn't crossed my mind at all but reading this brochure was like it just opened this door up and I suddenly had the the epiphany oh my goodness what have I been supporting all this time is this really going on And so I went home and I did a huge amount of research, read everything I could find about animal products and where meat came from and how animals were treated and the industry and everything. And and within a few weeks, I was going through that process of cutting out one type of meat at a time as I read about the industry. So the first one I cut out was eating pigs and then I'd read about chickens and I stopped eating chickens and et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it wasn't an overnight decision. It was a progress over probably a period of a year while I cut out each different type of meat. And then I was vegetarian and I thought I was doing an awesome thing. And I was vegetarian and going on tell you everyone I was so proud of myself. And then, ah, gosh, it was probably another five or six years after that that I had my son. And there was something about the process of breastfeeding that 
triggered in me thinking about animals and their babies and then I started doing some research about the dairy industry and and made the very obvious links um, between my baby and their babies and what they went through and you know how different it was for me and and so it just became a no-brainer to stop eating dairy. I guess at that point I actually realized that the dairy industry is even worse than the meat industry it just it freaked me out even more so you know I always say well if I ever went back which I wouldn't dairy I would never ever touch again yeah. because reading about that industry is just so horrific um so I dropped dairy and then I dropped eggs and then I became vegan pretty quickly after that um, so it was a long process and I think that it's really important for us as vegans to remember that it can be a long process for people it's very rare to find a vegan Definitely. who went vegan overnight and I think for us to be judgmental of vegetarians for example is really unfair because they're just at a different part of their journey than we are and if we're nasty to them or judgmental rather than pull them forward whereas we should be embracing and saying wow that's so awesome that you're not eating meat anymore have you thought about this you know rather than just go it's not good enough you're not vegan so you know i really feel like we always have to remember that it is a journey and people are at different points on that journey I think that you're the person that I'm interviewing or speaking to that's been vegan for the longest amount of time. (laughs) I mean, because the movement's grown so much Mm. over the past 10 years and even five years, it's completely exploded. Oh, God, yes. Incredible. How hard was it originally when you did go through that process to, Mm -hmm. especially from the vegan side? Because I feel like vegetarian even back then could have potentially Mm. been a little bit more difficult than it is now. Now it's so easy, even in, in restaurants. It's really easy to be a vegetarian nowadays. But even back then, being a vegetarian and then a vegan, Mm. how hard was it? I think back then, vegetarian was accepted and kind of understood. So you could get a vegetarian meal at most restaurants. And if if you told people you were a vegetarian, people understood. Being vegan was completely different. Most people had no idea what it was. You'd tell them you were vegan and they'd glaze over and look confused. And you definitely couldn't get vegan dishes at restaurants. So it was much, much harder. Um... And and that was part of why I started the business, you know, was because I couldn't find the types of food that I wanted. So you started the store, the cruelty-free shop in Sydney? Um, I started it in my house in Sydney. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So it started out as an online store. And so the process was that um, when I became vegan, there were two things that stuck out to me. One was that um, I just spent a ridiculous amount of time reading labels in the supermarket so doing my shopping took so long and trying nothing was labeled as vegan then so I had to decipher all these numbers and ingredients and try and figure out what was animal based and what wasn't and so it was just a pain and I also couldn't find any of the things I wanted to eat and the other thing that struck me was that I spoke to so many people who said oh, I used to be vegan or vegetarian but it was just too hard mostly they said vegetarian but it was just too hard So that sort of created a mission in my mind um, and my mission statement was to make it easier to become vegan and stay vegan by providing the products that people wanted um, and also selfishly so I didn't have to spend so much time reading labels. (laughs) I mean, fair enough. How hard was it to to get the original stock? Uh, Pretty hard. There was very little available in Australia. um, And where there was stuff available in Australia, you'd find a manufacturer that made 15,000 ranges and one of them was vegan. So you really had to search everything out and then you had to triple check everything because 
nowadays you can say to a manufacturer is that vegan and usually they'll they'll know yeah. but back then if you asked them if it was vegan they'd say oh yeah i think so maybe so you couldn't really rely on anyone you had to go and do the research and every ingredient to check and i sort of you know it was my responsibility to make sure that that was right so i had to do a lot of research a lot of the stuff we had at the start well we only had like god i think i launched with 100 products it was tiny and we've got three and a half thousand now so oh, fantastic. quite different um yeah so i, I started um, bringing some stuff in from overseas just in really small quantities and so i started it up with a thousand dollars out of the bedroom the cupboard in my spare bedroom and it was very very small but yeah that's how it started oh that's great <laughs> yeah so you started as an online business mm. how long ago was that um that was in 2001 how was the marketplace for... Yeah, there weren't very many online stores back then. I was just... It was kind of lucky because I was in IT and I was working for a company who did web hosting and they had this amazing new product that was an online store template. Oh, oh wow. my God, it looks so clunky and old now, but it was cutting edge then. Um, and one of my jobs was to sell that concept. And so I thought I'd just try putting together a little online store and see how it works. And so I created a little logo and everything. And, and then I went, hey, I can do this. So I went ahead and... And did it. it. Yeah, yeah, without really intending to have a business at the start. But um, how did you decide on the name? I guess at that time there was a lot of talk about animal testing. Well, there still is, sadly. Um, But the whole, I don't know, I think cruelty free just sort of resonated with me because it was clear that that's what it was. That's what it was about. It was about avoiding cruelty. And people associated cruelty free with products like cosmetics and stuff. Um, so there was a bit of explaining to do when I said it's food and that was actually kind of a good opportunity though, because then people say, well, what's cruel about eggs or whatever. And, and then I could actually explain to them. So it was kind of an opportunity. Yeah, it opens well. the door to, to yeah, that kind of conversation. to have that sort of discussion. Yeah. And so originally you were only food based products, Mm-mm. um, or you were always kind of a different kind of range. Yeah. I'd say at the start it was mostly um, like personal care type products and oh, really? a little bit okay. of food because it was so hard to get the food. And I've always been about, always wanted to differentiate ourselves from health food shops in that um, we stock vegan versions of non-vegan products. It's not health food, it's not staples, it's vegan versions of things that you can't find. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, vegan cream and vegan cheese and uh, vegan fish sauce and all those things that you like to cook with but it's quite hard to find. Which goes hand in hand with what you were saying, that you just wanted to make that switch and remaining yeah. vegan just that that little bit easier because you could find yeah. that product. And I product. think one of the challenges when you first come vegan is you don't really know what to eat. And so if you can cook, like I used to love creamy pasta. That was my, I just loved creamy pasta. And becoming vegan, I'm like, oh my God, I'll never be able to eat yeah. creamy pasta again. No more creamy so, pasta for me. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that was a mission. Go out and find a cream that doesn't have dairy in it so that I can still have my creamy pasta. So it's all very selfishly motivated. <laughs> <laughs> well, so f- from moving to your little store, yeah. ran out of your spare bedroom yeah. to opening a first store, how yeah. did that process kind well, of... Um, basically that the shop grew out of my my cupboard took over my lounge then it took over the kitchen then it took over the bedroom and I remember one Christmas I was literally climbing over boxes to get into bed because the whole house had been just been taken over by, <laughs> by stock so it, it, something great. had to give at that point so um, it was either move into a warehouse and just focus online and then 
someone said to me, well, wouldn't you reach more people if you had a shop? And I went, yeah, and that is the goal of it is to reach more people. So, yeah, I leapt in and decided to get a shop. Were you always in this space in Glebe? Yeah, this is our first shop here. I mean, the original. (laughs) And so walk me through the growth after that once the store here was Mm -hmm. established and the online business was, I'm assuming, continuously Mm. growing as well. Yeah, I was a bit worried that opening a shop would sort of cannibalize the online store and that that would go down as we opened a shop. But it actually turns out that it didn't. The online store carried on growing. And the Glebe shop um, has, you know, been quite popular from when we opened. So it was definitely worth opening. So it just showed that there was, uh, there were more people out there wanting the products. And, and I guess that was seven years ago. I guess people weren't that comfortable with online shopping like they are now. As much, yeah. As much, exactly. Um, so there were a lot of people who still wanted to come into a physical shop and even you know even now I think it's really nice to look at things and touch things and stuff so I think there's a lot of benefit of having a shop and also having the shop we get um, a real opportunity to do outreach you know we have a lot of people kind of just wandering in saying well what is it what's this all about and so we can spend time with them and we get a lot of people who are thinking about becoming vegan or thinking about making a change walking in and so we tell our staff that if someone comes in and says they're thinking about becoming vegan, grab them. <laughs> tell them <laughs> it's really easy. Give them all the information they need. We always have heaps of recipes and um, brochures and booklets and to give them and just spend as much time as they need and just answer all the questions and, you know, help them as much as you can because that's such a great opportunity oh well, yeah you're, you're you know you're positioned in a way where they're coming at you to get that information so it's not yeah. as in, it's not that kind of outreach yeah. that some i mean it's all outreach in my yeah. opinion has its place yeah but it's not that outreach when you're in a in a public space yeah. and spreading your message yeah. you're really in a space where they're coming at you therefore yeah. you know that they kind of already yeah. have a foot in so that door it's so important to see that there's so many different levels of activism you know from that person who handed me a brochure at the festival yeah you know people say people think that stalls don't make a difference they do they make a huge difference and i've spoken to so many people who've made the change or had their eyes open just by reading a brochure they got at a stall somewhere so from that through to the person who's finally decided they're going to make the change walking in here and being embraced and welcomed and made to feel like they're doing something really good um, we get so many mothers and daughters coming in and oh, the mother lovely. will walk in and the mother will walk up to me you know because I'm a bit older and they'll walk up <laughs> and go oh she's decided to become vegan it's such a pain and I turn around to them and I say oh my god you must be so proud you've oh, raised yeah. a really thinking intelligent young woman and you see their faces change and they suddenly get this big smile and go yeah I am really proud so it's like you know we change the the perception for people I feel like that's a really important message because with the growth of the vegan movement people Mm. can be a little bit more afraid sometimes of the activism I think that Mm. the movements are becoming so much more some of them can be super confronting and just knowing that yes it does make a difference in Mm. some way and the the brochure and the leafletting and things like that they do have their profound effect i think that it's still really important for people to understand that that is not it's great to go vegan and i mean your personal impact Mm. is so powerful 
but there is value in people going out and still doing their, their bit of activism. I agree. I think there's, and I think there's a type of activism to suit every type of person. Definitely. I mean, there's, there's people who want to go and do undercover work and abattoirs. There's people who want to go out and do the cube of truth and they're hugely effective. But then there's people who want to write a letter to the newspaper or sign a petition or hand out brochures. You know, all of those things are equally of value. And it, it kind of annoys me when activists criticize each other and say, you're not doing enough or, not, or you're doing it the wrong way because I think there's a place for all of us. And each type of activism reaches a different type of person or a person who's a, in a different stage in their journey. And I think it's really important to not criticize each other, just just keep doing it, yeah. <laughs> however works for you. And don't feel like you have to do something that's too confronting for you because, you know, that handing out the brochure could be just as effective. And so how did you decide to open a second store? Um, so, well, we looked at the stats of where our orders were coming from online and clearly, by far, most of them were coming from Melbourne. Um, you know, Melbourne, you're from Melbourne, you know, it's the vegan capital of the yep. entire world. Yep. So we realised that Melbourne was where it was all happening and there was an explosion of vegan restaurants and businesses starting and we thought, well, if we're going to be part of the vegan scene, we need to be in Melbourne. Um, so we opened up our second store in Melbourne and it was just an instant. I remember the day we opened, it was so exciting. We were right in front of a tram stop and every single tram that stopped, the doors opened and people just poured out and into the shop and it was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Oh my God, that was, it was just We were just like welcomed with open arms. It was so lovely. I love the Melbourne community. It's just so uh, vibrant and exciting. And yeah, it was really exciting to be part of that. So, uh, so that was your second store. Mm. And then how many stores do you have now? Five, including the online store. So then we opened Brisbane and Canberra both in the same year so they're much smaller markets um so those shops are not probably ever going to do as well as sydney and melbourne but they do really well with outreach so that's more the purpose of having them there is to to provide a service to the vegan community and to do outreach so the next step after opening brisbane and canberra was to move melbourne to a bigger shop Um, and that was so exciting (laughs) well yeah so that was a perfect segue into that question is that at some point when you moved this to mm. from the smaller shop to the bigger shop, yeah. then you took the space on the worldwide scene as being the biggest yeah. gr- like store, fully vegan store, yeah. overtaking the one that was in Germany. And that was, a lot of people were talking about that. Yeah. So how, so how that got a lot of media coverage, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that was um, a bit of a gamble. It was really exciting. It was like having a, my dream was to have a vegan supermarket, you know, yeah. like go into a Coles type supermarket and just have everything vegan and never have to check anything. So this is like the first step towards that, like expanding it to the size where people can come and do the grocery shopping. Though we did initially think that we'd sort of have fresh fruit and veg and make it an actual supermarket, but it seems that people weren't really that interested in that sort of thing. So we dropped that and just expanded our vegan range, vegan specific range. Yeah, I um, feel like in Melbourne, there is quite a bit of uh, people do, do a lot of markets yeah, and produce yeah. shop for their fruits and veg yeah. and then specialty shops for specific things. Yes, it seems to be the way. And so we used the space therefore to extend our vegan ranges um, within each category. So like, for example, we, are, we offer more shoes down there and more bags and some fashion. And then within like our baking section, we just expanded so we just just made each section double the size 
with lots more products. So that, and that was such fun. <laughs> Finding all the products was really fun. And it's such a beautiful space. You walk through it and everything's yeah. very well thought out and you host quite a bit of fundraisers in there. We do that in all our shops. We oh, try okay. and have a fundraiser at least every two months in each shop for a local charity. So we have, we'll host bake sales or wine and cheese nights where the proceeds all go to um, one of the local sanctuaries. And also you're always a big part of the vegan day out in Melbourne we, anyway. We run the vegan day oh, out. Oh, so you run yeah, so, yeah. You, well, so you run the vegan day out? Yes. Yeah, so the vegan day out, I came up with the concept for vegan day out um, because when it actually started when we moved to Glebe and there was only one other vegetarian um, cafe along the strip and I was trying to talk to all the businesses and say come on you've got to put some vegan stuff on the menu because all these vegans are coming into Glebe and if they come here they want to eat as well so you know it's a win-win there's more reason for them to come into Glebe to visit us plus you'll get more business and they were all a bit resistant so I decided to start an event called the Vegan Day Out um, and we created a walking map for vegans and so we did a lot of stuff in store like tastings and discounts and everything but the main thing was to encourage the local cafes to put on a vegan meal for the day, even if they didn't have them on their menu normally, and offer a discount. And, I mean, it's kind of threefold. It was to give vegans a day out so that non-vegans can come along and try vegan products in a sort of discounted, fun atmosphere. And thirdly, to encourage the local businesses or show the local businesses how much vegan demand there is. And it's been so successful because... After the first vegan day out, I had so many of the local cafes say to me, oh my God, I didn't realise there were so many vegans. And then they've put these you've dishes left them there. on their menus permanently. And since then, because it's sort of created a bit of a vegan hub, we've had multiple vegan businesses Opening. move into the area. And also Green Mushroom that was vegetarian, because of vegan day out and being able to see how much demand there was, have converted to fully vegan. So that's really exciting. So you're a huge instrument of change like okay. in... No, I think it's important for people to really, or especially for women and women-led businesses, we don't usually, or a lot of women just don't want to take the credit. It's interesting that um, human nature makes us, we don't want to be different from anyone else. Like people like to be part of a tribe and they like to, they don't want to create waves or be, you know, I think it starts in school because if you're different, you get picked on and that flows through into adulthood. But such an important part of promoting veganism is normalizing it so that if people decide to do it people don't point at them and say you're different and weird they just go oh that's great cool i know lots of vegans um and yeah we need to talk about it all the time we need to be using the word constantly in fact you know you talked about naming the shop if I had my time again, I'd call it the vegan shop. Because yeah. back then, if I called it the vegan shop, people wouldn't have known what it was. But now I think that we should be saying vegan every time we can. To normalise it. To normalise it. it and make it acceptable because then people are more likely to do it. How do you keep expanding your range? Uh, it's a it's a mixture. At the start, it was me begging people. Um, now people beg me, yay. Um, yes, yeah, so I get a lot of um, emails and phone calls from people and people dropping in samples constantly wanting us to stock their products. Um, and there's still people who come in and don't quite get what vegan is and say, well, it's really healthy and it's organic and it's gluten-free. And I'm like, yeah, great, but is it vegan? Oh, let me just check that. So, so we yeah. still get that, but it, on the Flip side, I get a huge amount of new startup vegan businesses approaching us, and that's so exciting. And we love to work with new vegan businesses and encourage them and 
you know, give any advice we possibly can. So And so originally when you were first starting your stock, you mm. said that there wasn't much from Australia. No. But would you say how would you say now that it compares like the percentages of what you stock being from Australia? The majority is still from overseas, but a much, much higher percentage is from Australia now and there's more and more every every week there's a new company or a new product yeah. coming out. It's really cool. And I mean the the whole we have to bring stuff in from overseas because otherwise we'd have half the stock we've got. So, But the whole food miles thing just really irks me. So the more stuff we can get produced locally, the better. And I mean, that's, it's kind of a, um, what comes first. You know, as the demand grows, more stuff will be made and, and it's going to happen. And It'll be more local. And yeah. Is there anything that you wish someone was making? Do you perceive a hole in the market? I guess that looking at what's in our shop, the hole is in the mock meat section. That's where we're still getting most of our stuff coming in from overseas. Um, vegan cheeses are being made locally beautifully and there's a huge range. Like every state has their own special artisan makers and they're, oh, they're phenomenal. Anyway, yeah, so I would say that the thing that we're still having to bring in the most is the mock meats. So okay. I think that category's got a long way to go. I know there's someone in um, New Zealand who's developing a range and hopefully that'll come to Australia because at least that's a shorter Closer. food mile. Um, and there's, there's more and more people developing the, in that area, but it's yet to sort of, um, I don't know, take off like the European and the American ones have. Yeah. But we're getting there. When did you decide that you were also going to incorporate fashion into the store? Did that kind of just grow organically or? I was actually, my husband was on a business trip in New York and I tagged along as I do and went to, we just coincided with fashion week and we went to the vegan shoe shop in New York called Mooshoes. Yeah, Mooshoes, yeah. You've been there? Yes. It's so fabulous. And they, it was fashion week. So they had a big thing set up with all the different producers having stalls and stuff. And I met the guy who started Matt and Nash. The From Montreal, which from is where I'm Montreal, from. Montreal, the bags. And I loved them. And, you know, I was sitting there talking to him about you know his passion and how they use recycled bottles for the lining which I love and I suddenly hang on a second why haven't we got these in Australia they're, and they're beautiful bags like why should we have to go to Cayman and buy vinyl crappy bags that fall apart after a month so yeah so I talked to him we organized him to send me some stock over and yeah we started buying directly from them and importing them and you know Australians loved them And it was just like, you know, you shouldn't have to miss out anything as a vegan. You know, we should be rewarded for being vegan, not penalized. We yes. should be able to have beautiful bags and beautiful shoes and all the food we want. So it's just another offering. Yeah, I'm going to come back to you a little bit because you've empowered the movement so much. And so things like that is embarrassing. I don't feel that it is. I think that and if it's me that says it, that's just me. That's not you saying this about yourself. It's just me perceiving from our conversation. So we were talking about the vegan day out mm -hmm. and how impactful that's been here. Mm. And I think vegan day out has been a success from all levels. It's really exciting. And so many people come out and every year I think, oh, people will be over it this year. And then every year people get excited and come. So it's really good. It's probably as the movement grows, there's yeah. more. So there's more yeah. people to kind of get excited again. True. And people that are established vegans. Mm. And because I feel that as a vegan, you do tend to get more people on board because you talk about what you're passionate about yeah 
and so maybe you're like let's go to vegan day out and now mm. you're, you bring your friends that are veggie or yeah. that are kind of on that path and i feel like we need to maybe think up something new though i think that because well particularly in sydney there's a, a monthly sydney vegan market now which is huge and so exciting it's just amazing it's amazing um so I'm not sure that Vegan Day Out is still as relevant as it was. And I think that it's important to realize that when you start something or um, run events and stuff, it, sometimes you just need to acknowledge that it's not really necessary anymore. And I, I, I started the Cruelty Free Festival 12 years ago. And the whole goal with that festival was to provide an environment where non-vegans could come along and find out how they what they could do in their everyday lives to help animals you know and it could be as simple as changing your brand of shampoo sponsoring an an orangutan um, adopting a homeless animal or of course changing your diet Um, and that was really successful and and really big for 10 years and it was really necessary back then because there wasn't anything else going but now that there are so many events and so many festivals and so many markets um, it's kind of gotten to the point where it's actually not needed anymore. And I think you have to realize that nothing lasts forever. And it's the same with the shops. They won't be needed forever. You know, at some point, the supermarkets will carry aisles and aisles of vegan products and we won't be needed anymore. And I've always sort of joked when people say to me, how do you know when you've succeeded? And I feel like when the cruelty-free shop isn't needed anymore, that's when we've succeeded. You know, that's when we've changed the world, when you you know can be vegan wherever you are. So, I don't know, I think whenever you're doing something, it's the same with if you're producing a product. You know, the product that you produced at the start that was really successful is not going to be successful in five years' time. You know, there'll be um, uh, people want something different, trends change, there's lots of other products available. So, I think you have to be quite fluid and you have to not get dig your heels in and say, well, this is all I'm doing and it's successful now, so I'm just going to stay doing it forever. Yeah things just change you have to iterate and kind of grow with yeah yeah the world changes trends change people change demand changes how has veganism empowered you as a woman i feel like it's empowered you so much (laughs) it's it's funny because we were talking earlier um about how i don't really like saying i've achieved things and i feel really uncomfortable with that i was sort of brought up in an environment where you don't blow your own trumpet you don't talk about yourself how very australian um, people exactly it's ex- very australian um you don't except i'm from new zealand so it's a new zealand thing as well okay. you're seen to be bragging if you talk about yourself and you don't want people to think you've got a big ego so for me to talk about myself and the things i've done i find really really uncomfortable so i guess i've had to force myself out of that comfort zone because it's too important to talk about veganism. And if I don't talk about what I've done and the experiences and everything, then I'm not talking about veganism and I'm missing an opportunity. So I've had to sort of force myself out of my comfort zone and um, say, it's okay to talk about stuff, you know? (laughs) It's okay to talk about the things we're doing and be um, a leader, the successes and um, veganism in general, because if you don't talk about it, nobody hears about it and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier unless you talk about it you're not normalizing it and it's not becoming more socially acceptable and yeah so being empowered by being vegan has meant to me forcing myself out of my comfort zone and talking about things I wouldn't talk normally talk about I guess no that's great it means different things to different people but I just feel like it's such an empowering thing to go through because you have especially if you've been vegan for so long people accepting who you are and your changes and your behavior and that 
really builds you up as a person. Yeah. And so that's, I think I use empowerment in that sense. It's made you a more kind of self-assured individual Mm. and for different people for different reasons. But being a vegan entrepreneur that's within the vegan space, it has to have empowered you in a way because what you do is so linked to your values. Mm. So it it has to mean that veganism has empowered you in some way. And and outside of the business sense, I almost feel like as a vegan, I've got an obligation you know, I remember when I'd first sit down at a dinner table and someone would, would say, oh, I hear you're vegan, or ask me a question about it, and I'd sort of go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great, and, you know, you just carry on what you're doing, what you're doing, everything's fine, um, and not really make a deal, a big deal of it and just change the subject. Whereas then I realised that every time someone engages with you is an opportunity to educate them. And most people, you know, except the ones who ask if carrots have feelings, the other people <laughs> who ask you questions actually do want to know the answer. Then they're actually answer asking because they're curious yeah and you've got an opportunity then and so instead of me just changing the subject and being awkward um i sort of feel like i've got an obligation to answer those questions now so anytime anyone asks me anything about veganism bang i'm in there i'm talking about it i'll talk about it till the cows come home (laughs) yeah well that's great so it's sort of like it's almost an obligation to educate people wherever you can without being a bore obviously i just Hmm. Quickly, want to I want to also talk about how um, you've had a huge challenge recently. Oh God! <laughs> you had um, an incident at the Melbourne store. An incident. Well, I a mean, devastating a incident. Devastating incident. So yeah. someone set fire to the back store, and yeah. I don't think that it was a targeted specifically towards the shop. No, I it think. wasn't. No. Um, it would have been much worse had it been targeted. If it was personal, it would have been so much more devastating. But it was just some poor guy who's got mental health issues or drug problems. I don't know what his problem was. But he was he was just, we were just in the wrong place or he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, decided to start a fire in an alleyway. Um, and he set it on top of our recycling bin so that once the lid of the recycling bin melted, it just went up. Um, and then the fire spread through the back roller door into the shop. And, you know, when I first, I was actually in Japan when it happened. And I was in this monastery in the mountains in the most beautiful place ever. And it was very tranquil and calm. And I got a text message from my friend who runs Vegan Style saying, I'm so sorry to hear about the Melbourne shop. And I was like, what? <laughs> that oh, was that the first I heard s- about it. And then, um, yeah, and then I heard that there'd been a fire, but it was just the back area of the shop. And I thought, oh, that's easy. We'll just shut that off and keep trading at the front. But turns out that when you have a fire, most of the damage is done by heat and smoke. And so the heat was so intense that the chocolates at the front of the shop, which is 40 metres away or something, um, were completely melted. And everything, 100% of the stock was fired, was smoke or heat damaged. Wow. Uh, so it was just devastating it was just like kick you when you're down it was horrible and how did you because now you've just reopened really recently like what two weeks ago now yeah it was such a traumatic experience I've never been through anything like it and it was the whole place had to be gutted and rebuilt the walls had to be sandblasted replasted painted all the electrical wiring had melted all the plumbing had melted it was that hot everything had to be thrown away and to see all that all that vegan food and oh, stuff stock, being thrown yeah. into a dumpster was just heartbreaking. And unfortunately, we were underinsured. 
Um, oh, so right. financially it was quite devastating oh. and it's going to take us a really long time to get back on our feet. So my piece of advice to business owners is check your insurance <laughs> and but, don't think it'll never happen to me because it happens more than you realize. Wow. I just, that was going to be my, like, what would you, how would you suggest <laughs> anyone get through something like that? Yeah, but, it was yeah. just emotionally and physically devastating. It's, I'm I, so sorry this happened yeah, to you. Oh, you know, you just hopefully these things make you stronger. But um, yeah, it was it was hard. But now it's rebuilt. Uh, it is, yay! <laughs> and how did the did you feel supported by the community? As oh God, yes! Oh my God, the vegan community were incredible. We just had so many offers of help and stuff, which we couldn't actually take people up on the offers because the insurance companies subcontract to do most of the work. Yeah. Um, but people were incredible. There were all sorts of offers. Suppliers were giving us you know, discounted and free stock and extended our credit terms so that we could get through a difficult time where we weren't having any income coming in. Um, and the actual vegan community, my God, so many offers of help and support and love, which just it was beautiful. It was really overwhelming. So, you know, out of something horrible, that was, you know, the light <laughs> that, that kept us going through was that there was so much lovely support. Yeah, that yeah. must have been, yeah. I mean, it's so fresh too. So I'm yeah, so, it's a bit fresh. So I'm sorry to ask, but I mean, I, I mean, couldn't. That's all right. It was, you know, it was one of those things you hope you only have to deal with once. And, you know, we, our staff are all casuals. And um, while I gave some of them some money out of my own bank account to keep them going, really affected them too because they yeah. lost their job for two and a half months so yeah. they had to find a way to get through so you know there were so many different people who were affected yeah. by it but yeah there's some work from the community was fantastic and since we've opened i was worried that people would sort of get out of the habit of coming to us but luckily since we opened people have come back poured to back us. in yeah so that's pretty awesome oh that's yeah. good vegans are pretty awesome well, yeah, there's a compassionate element that mm -hmm. I think is not just extended to animals. Yeah. There's and there's a such a community feeling, which is really nice. Everyone cares about each other. That's it's fantastic. Mm. What's the best advice that you've been given? And mm -hmm. that what advice, other than being better insured, <laughs> would you be giving to people? I think the best advice that I ever got was surround yourself with people who are as passionate as you are um, and don't um, just hire someone who wants to wants a job hire someone who's passionate about veganism and about what we're doing um, and so all our staff we think we've got 35 now they're all vegan and so everybody's here because they want to work for a vegan business and because they believe in what we're doing and that makes a huge difference yeah. um, and a lot of our staff are activists as well so they see this as an extension of their activism um, and and that way, um, you know, they really believe in what they're doing and, and we all work really well together and we all have this commonality that makes it a really strong team, which is really nice. That's um, as far as giving advice, um, there's a lot of people starting up with new products and they have fantastic products. Um, and I think my advice to them would be ask for advice from people who've done something similar or people who are already in business. Um, don't try and reinvent the wheel all the time. You know, there's so there's lots of us out there in vegan businesses who have all this knowledge and you don't have to spend all that time figuring out stuff. Just ask someone. I mean, vegans are really happy to help each other and we don't see each other as competition. We complement each other and are really supportive. It's not like normal businesses where 
you don't want to share trade secrets. You actually want to help other vegan businesses. So ask, ask for advice. You know, it's out there and most of us are really willing to give it. But that said, when you get that advice, be prepared for it to be advice you don't like and don't get upset if it's advice you don't like. You know, a really good example of this is someone who came to see me who had a brilliant product, but the packaging was terrible. And they'd been at markets and all their friends had tried and everyone had loved and they'd been getting great feedback. And they said, now the thing you have to understand is that on your market stall and your beautiful setup, everyone loves your product. But when you put it on the shelf alongside 10 similar products, your packaging doesn't stand out. And there's not someone standing there selling your product for you. It has to sell itself on the shelf, yeah. you know. And, you know, I took it out and I said, look, see how it's fading into the background. Um, and I got a bit of pushback. Oh, everyone else thinks it's good. I was like, okay, that's great. Well, if you're happy with it, that's fine. <laughs> you know? yeah. But, you know, if you get feedback from people, try and try to take try to think about it unemotionally because it could be really valuable. And, you know, had that person changed their packaging, it probably would have been a really successful product. So, I don't know. That's just... No, it's a Ask good for advice. And when you get that advice, you don't have to take it all. But be prepared for it to be something you don't agree with. And if you don't agree with it, then think just think about it a little bit because there might be a pearl of wisdom in there. And you sort of have to put your emotions aside and be very objective about it yeah. and think about how are other people going to see this product? How is this product being positioned in the market? What is the competition? What will it look like on the shelf? That's the thing. I mean, I love working with new startup vegan businesses and I love giving them advice. Ask for advice and, and then take it objectively. And So what's in the future for the cruelty-free shop now that you've also said that you might be phasing out of the vegan day out, maybe mm. unsure what's coming for you? Um, I think that event-wise, there's something I haven't thought of yet. I know there's an idea in there and it's just growing. Um, as far as the shop goes, I'm really, really keen to get in some product manufacturing because we were talking earlier about how few products are made in Australia and that's an area that I'd really like to move into. We've actually started making our own range. It's called Cruelty Free Pantry of dry packet mixes. Oh, um, the latest one's an omelette mix, which is really good. Um, oh, so cool. I'm really proud of that. Um, and that's sort of an area I really want to move into with our own branded products because I, I feel like as the supermarket starts stocking more range and the health food shops and stuff, um, if we can be supplying them as well, then that kind of keeps us relevant into the future. So, and that's kind of, you know, I've been doing retail for a long time now and I'm looking for a bit of a new challenge. So I think that's the bit that I'm most excited about is developing our own range. And that was Jessica Bailey from The Cruelty Free Shop. What an inspirational woman. She was so wonderful to meet and I hope she inspired you to start 2019 strong and powerful and ready to be your best vegan self. As always, it is such an honor for me to be able to bring you the stories of vegan women that are doing fantastic things and I'm continuously humbled by the following and the positive responses that we've received so far. If you liked this episode, please make sure to subscribe to our show, rate us, and tell all of your vegan friends. The Vegan Women Collective podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced by myself, Rachel LaMarche. I thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers! Cheers!